We've been reading through uh, the Bible uh, this year at Hope, um, at least the, most of you, the New Testament. Um, as I know many of you have been reading along personally, and, and every week there's the New Testament track and the whole Bible track that are on the back of your uh, bulletin there. You see that, and, and uh, it's not too late uh, to jump in if you want to get in on um, the great ending of the New Testament, the ending of the Bible. Um, we're coming up uh, on that, and now we're kind of in the home stretch. Uh, this week we're talking about uh, the book of James and uh, this letter that was written to the early church. And as we, we start to move into December, we're going to take a look at Peter, uh, First and Second Peter, um, the, the three books of John, a little bit in Jude, everybody's favorite Beatles book, and, uh, and finally Revelation. So I, uh, yeah, there you go. So I encourage you to, uh, to jump on board and to read along with us. Uh, maybe this is a part of the Bible that you haven't spent a lot of time in. A lot, a lot of times we, we spend a lot of time in the Gospels, or we spend a lot of time maybe in Genesis with the creation story, and you know some of those stories maybe from Sunday school or when you grew up. Uh, this is a part of the Bible that maybe some of you are familiar with, and, and maybe you're not. So I'm glad that we're going to be um, spending some time there. Um, there's, I, I really believe there's some incredible truth for us in some of these smaller books. And, and these are the kind of books that we're going to be in um, that you can really impress people with and tell them that you read the entire book of James in a day, or you could even say in a half an hour. I read the entire book in half an hour, all three pages of it. So um, that's, that's, that's the benefit of these smaller books. And so I'm guessing that, that as you've been reading through this, and I, and I, and I pray that you're doing that at home, that, that when you come here on Sundays, that what we talk about is just a supplement uh, to what you're already doing. But I'm guessing something that you've probably noticed by now is the, is the power of God's word to speak to you differently every time that you read it. You ever notice that? You, you have a familiar verse and then you read it and maybe a couple months or a couple years later you go back to that same passage and it really hits you in a different way. It impacts you in a different way depending on what's going on in your life, what circumstances are going on in your life. And um, it, I think that's just further proof that God's word is alive. That book that you hold in front of you this morning is not just old ancient words that are on these pages that are stagnant and still they're alive and they're moving and they're working and they're, they, they hold the power to change our lives. And so I, I believe that if we, we come at God's word anytime you sit down to read it with, with an open heart, with a humble heart, with a, a willing heart to change, um, I really believe that, that God will speak to us. Um, God will speak and he wants, uh, he has a word to speak to you this morning. And so as we get started and, and, and dig into James a little bit, um, let's pray together. God, we're here for you today. We want to hear your voice speaking to us above all the other voices, above all the, the noise and clutter of our lives. God, so many of us just are feeling that burden this morning of, of busyness, just the pressures of life that we find ourselves under. And God, we, we just claim this time as holy. We're on holy ground because you're here. And, and we claim that promise this morning that where two or more are gathered in your name, there you are with them. Your spirit is present in this place. God, I, I do pray that you would speak a word very personally to each of us this morning, that it wouldn't just be a little bit of inspiration or a nice Christian idea. God, I pray that you'd really do a work in our hearts this morning, even if it's hard, even if it's challenging. God, I pray that you'd give us the courage to push through, 
to be challenged in our walk with you this morning. Jesus, we pray these things in your name. Amen. So as I was uh, spending some time reading through the book of James this past week, one of, the, one of the major themes that seemed to pop up again and again is this idea of moving on to maturity in our faith. Moving on to maturity in our faith. Letting, letting God be our everything. Letting God invade every area of our life. And, and, and what exactly that looks like when God does invade every area of our life what it looks like when he does, because really, that's what discipleship is. We, we throw that word around a lot, discipleship, following Jesus, being a Christian. We, we throw those words around a lot, but that's really what following Jesus is all about. It's, it's growing up in our faith. It's, it's moving forward in our faith. It's not standing still. It's, it's moving on to maturity, and that's one of the big themes that we see popping up again and again in James. That's me growing up. No, it's not. And uh, it's, it's growing up in, into the be the man or the woman of God that, that he created you to be. It's not, it's not settling for any less than the best of what God has for you. James, in this really short book, crams a lot into a short book, and he speaks over and over again of putting our old ways behind us so that we can grow up in the faith. So before we get there, I want to set a little bit of backdrop to the, some verses that we're going to be reading in James. So if you could turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 is, is uh, back before James. Luke is one of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke chapter 9. Uh, Luke's in the New Testament. It'll be in the back half of your Bible. Um, just a little bit before James. We're going to start with verse 57. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. And then when we're done, we'll hop over to James. Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 57. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right, we'll roll with it. So Jesus has been doing ministry for quite some time now. And he's growing in popularity from all these miracles and teachings that he's doing. And so there's a a growing amount of people that are flocking to Jesus that want to see what this Jesus thing is all about. And so... That's just the stage for verse 57. As they were walking along the road, Jesus and his disciples, a man said to him, I will follow you. Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead Bury their own dead. But you go, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. What is going on here? This doesn't sound like Jesus. This doesn't sound like the Jesus we know that's drawing people to himself, that's inviting people to follow him. Jesus is actually... These words are a little bit harsh, almost, like he's, like he's pushing people away. So what's Jesus doing here? There's, there's three different people that, that want to follow him, that, that, that want to be a part of what he's doing in the world, that, that say, Jesus, I believe, and now I'm ready to follow you, and maybe that's you today. Maybe you can identify with those three men that came to Jesus. Maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe today you've come to believe in Jesus a, a, a long time ago. You, you made that decision or it was just recently. And you've kind of settled into the fact that, 
that, that you're good to go. I've, I've got this faith, and it's pretty real in my life, and, and so I'm set. I've got the faith. I'm, I'm coming to church. I'm singing the songs. I'm praying the prayers. I think, I think I'm set. I think I'm good to go. And now, don't get me wrong. That's what God wants from you. He, he wants those things. He wants you to believe. He wants you to come and, and, and worship and, and to pray and to, to, to worship him. But, but what he really wants, what James is saying this morning is, is you. He wants you, not just part of you. He wants all of you. And he wants to be your everything. And Jesus knows how, how easy it is for us to, to sort of go through the motions and just kind of do the Christian thing, but never really let go of our past so that we can move into the future with Jesus. He knows how easy it is for us to say, you know, Jesus, I, I, I want to follow you, but, but, but I'm busy. I've, I've got some other things going on in my life that I need to take care of. And, and granted, Jesus' words are, are very direct here, and he's not being unsympathetic. What Jesus is saying is that the call to follow is the call to let Jesus be a part of every aspect of your life. To let every nook and cranny of your life be impacted by him. Not, not Jesus just kind of as a stick-on little Velcro thing on your, on your belt or Jesus as a little added part of your life. But letting Jesus be your leader. And Jesus sensed that. He sensed the motives that we heard read about in James. The motives of these men's hearts. That they were coming to him with baggage and they didn't want to leave it behind. But when you follow Jesus, the old is gone so that the new can come. It's not about adding Jesus on to another part of your life. It's about letting Jesus be your leader. Letting Jesus be your teacher. In fact, letting him call the shots in your life. Letting him be your Lord call Jesus our Lord and Savior. A lot of times we do the Savior part really well. I get that. I'm messed up. I need a Savior. What we don't do so well is the Lord. Letting Jesus be the master. Letting Jesus be the teacher, the leader of your life. Jesus says to these three men, he says to you and I this morning, I want you to follow me. I want you to move into maturity with me. And Jesus says to every single one of us, I'll take you right where you are today. I'll accept you just the way you are. And I refuse to leave you that way. That's the call to discipleship. That's the call to maturity in Christ. Jesus says, my grace is enough for you today. And so as we talk about this call to follow Jesus that these three men experienced, as we we jump into James, I don't want to go into James without first talking about this, where the call to follow and where the call to maturity in Christ begins is grace. And it's, excuse me, it's accepting that grace and that love for you personally. It's the fact that we are loved and that we are accepted. Let's read this together from 1 John. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God And that is what we are. Let's do that one more time. Read it like you mean it. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Do you believe it? Do you believe that deep in the core of your being? And if we don't start here, if we don't start with the love of God and that being our identity, we will miss the whole point 
of Jesus is called a discipleship, and we'll miss the whole point of the book of James. In fact, the whole New Testament. The fact that you are loved by the creator of the universe is the first step in Christian maturity. Sometimes we think that being mature in our faith and growing in our faith is just reading more, doing more, being more busy, doing more things for God, but we've never settled on the root of our identity. It's in Christ. It's not in much how much we do. It's not how much we can earn. This is where it starts. If we can grasp and believe that truth about ourselves, we'll have a great foundation. Because when you're loved, it changes everything. When you're loved, you're moved to obey, to be obedient, and to follow. One of the perks that I've discovered about being married is that I've realized is having, I, one of the things, obviously, is having this brand new pool of stories to draw from for sermon illustrations, and that's great. I don't have to just talk about myself all the time. But last week, uh, my wife and I had our three-month anniversary, and that was pretty exciting. And so, and so I've, I've, I've settled in. Here's, here's what I figured out. I've settled in a little bit more to, to my role. And at first, it was just kind of like, okay, who's going to do what? And there was some arguments, and we're trying to figure out how to live with, with one another. And, and, you know, you wake up to this person every morning, and you're like, oh, you're not leaving. Like, you're still here. Not in a bad way, just in a, hey, yeah, it's, it's an overnight thing. So, um, so here's the strange thing that I've realized, though. Um, and, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, uh, I'm not getting any bonus points for this. My wife is actually speaking at her home church today, so I'm not getting any bonus points by saying this, but, but here's what I've realized. Here's this strange thing that's going on. I don't just take out the trash and kind of keep my office picked up and, and put away the dishes. I mean, those are the things that I've kind of claimed, like those are my things. I'll, I'll take care of that. Just kind of doing my duty just kind of the bare minimum, I found myself doing some very strange things. Some very strange things, like, like filling up her car with gas as a surprise, or I, I find myself volunteering to go to the store to get a stick of butter. Worthless. Very unproductive. But, but yet I find myself doing that, and it brings me joy. Or, or, or I, I've, been, I've been caught saying things like, no, honey, I'll clean up the kitchen. You just go in the living room and relax. What am I thinking? What, what am I saying? The, the, the game is on. The game is on and I'm missing it. You go relax. I'll clean up the kitchen. It's going to take like 45 minutes. But I just find myself saying these things and, and, and I wonder what's going on with me. And, and, I, and I ask myself... Where did that come from? I didn't decide to do this. I didn't decide to say those things. Where did that come from? I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I must be possessed or something. There's something, a new creature living inside of me. I'm either possessed or I'm loved. And it's changing me from the inside out. And I don't say all those things to toot my own toot my own horn. I mean, trust me, there is plenty of rough spots, and I know about them full well. But no one ever told me the top ten things that I should do to check off to love my wife well. She never ordered me to do any of those extra things above and beyond the call of duty. 
But it's this whole doing life together thing that's changing me. There's a new person forming in me because I'm loved. And I think in the same beautiful and powerful way, it's the relationship, it's the, it's the walking through life together with Jesus that changes us to the point where it no longer becomes about duty as Christians, to the point where it no longer becomes about the work, it's about being transformed because of love. It's becoming a different kind of person. We talked a few weeks ago, if you remember, about transformation and how God's number one desire for us is to be transformed. It's not just to be happy. It's to be a different kind of person. It's to be changed. To let God shape you. And some different analogies we read in Scripture. Maybe, maybe, maybe to prune you. To mold and shape you. He's the potter. We are the clay. He's the gardener and he trims off. He prunes branches in me that aren't producing fruit. He's changing me. He's changing us. He's transforming us. It's this active thing that's going on in our lives. Pruning those areas of your life that are maybe not so healthy to bring you to maturity. And that sets the stage now for us to jump in to James. Our identities are rooted in love, and that's where true change comes from. If you want to get your spouse to do something, you don't order them to do it. It doesn't work well. Many of you know this. If you want something to change, you love. Love changes people. And it's the same for us in our relationship with God. And so as we dive into James now, you might be a little startled. Some of the, the verses that Peter read for us, you might have gone, ooh, that's not very cheery, John. You're supposed to, I'm supposed to come here to worship and you're supposed to inspire me. Enemies of God? If I, if I, if I don't submit, if I don't come close to God? And, and, and some of these may, words from James may seem very harsh, some, some very difficult commands. You know, I'd rather you just tell me that God loves me and we can just leave it at that. Let's just kind of stay away from James. Let's just kind of put him over there. But James is already assuming, James is already assuming that our identity is rooted in God's love, not in our works. Rooted in God's love, not what we can do for God, not what we can do to be good enough to earn his love. We already have it. And so our good deeds that James talks about, our works as a Christian come out of that love, not to earn that love. That's huge. James also assumes that we've accepted the call to follow. If we can get those two things right, that our identity is rooted in God's love and that Christianity is about a call to follow Jesus, it's about discipleship. James is already assuming that we've accepted that call to follow, that we've left our own agendas behind, and we've said to Jesus, I want everything that you have for me. I don't want to settle for less than your very best for me. I'm, I'm, Jesus, I am ready for transformation. I am ready for life change. I'm tired of hearing these stories about all these other people that are experiencing your spirit, your power, your life change in their life. I'm tired about it happening to other people. I want to experience it for real, for me, right here. I'm tired of going through the motions. I want to know that full and abundant life that Jesus promises us. And so God comes along and starts speaking through James a little bit. And, and, and James 
it's challenging and it's, it's hard. And James says, okay, you've accepted this call to follow, then, then I'm going to challenge you a little bit. I'm, I'm going to poke a little bit at you. You know, like the doctor is, I'm going to kind of poke around and see what those areas are that aren't quite so healthy in you. I'm going to poke around a little bit. I'm going to start to dig a little bit deeper in your life. I'm going to show you what it looks like when you start to let Jesus have access to every part of your life. To let Jesus into those hidden areas of your life that that you thought you could kind of just keep separate. Your spiritual life and your God stuff and your Jesus stuff and your Christian stuff and then the rest of your stuff and... I'll just kind of keep you at a safe distance over there. Or maybe I'll just kind of push those things under the rug. But as it turns out, as we read through James, one of the common themes that we see, if we're talking about following Jesus and this call to discipleship, is that the way forward is the way back in. The way to move forward to maturity is to go back in, into those places in our hearts that Jesus has not yet had access to. One of the lies that we believe many times as we, we set out on this journey to follow Jesus and say, okay, I got it, I believe, I'm doing the church thing, I get that, I'm in a small group, I'm reading my Bible, Jesus, I want to follow you. But one of the lies that trips us up, even those of us that have been following Jesus for quite some time, one of the lies that trips us up is that we believe that we don't bring any baggage into that relationship with us. Those of you that are in relationships, those of you that are married, you know this to be very, very true. You do not come into this relationship perfect and complete. You come into the relationship with a lot of baggage, and the same for us is true in our faith. We believe this lie that we can simply pretend that everything's fine and all the pride and all the selfishness and all the anger and all the fears and all the insecurities that we had before we believed are automatically just gone. That when we set out to follow Jesus, that we can just say, well, that's not who I am anymore because I got Jesus. Now, granted, don't get me wrong, God can... God can do miracles and he can change things in your life and he can heal you from things and he can break you free from things. But more often than not, what God is saying through James is that most of the time, if we're going to grow, if we're going to experience that transformation in our lives, if we're going to find that abundant life that Jesus promises, that freedom that only he can give, then the way forward in our maturity with Christ is going back inside. And of course, that's, that's, it's, it's because of that life and it's because of that freedom that Jesus offers. That's why we have these commands. I'm going to challenge you to read James this week, if you haven't. And as you're going through James, you're going to be taken back a little bit and you're going to be challenged in your faith because he's going to poke at you a little bit. He's going to challenge you. Discipleship isn't just about self-improvement. It's about finding that life and freedom and peace and joy that Jesus offers. And we can't just manufacture maturity in our lives because the way forward is the way back in. Back in. Back into those relationships. Back into those habits. Back into those things that you say and do that find their source in something much deeper below the surface. Look with me at uh, James. If you're not in James, flip back to James if you kept your finger there. James chapter 4. This one grabbed me 
this week as James was poking at me a little bit. James chapter 4, starting at verse 1 that Peter read for us. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. Okay, you nailed me. Okay, James. You know I'd rather not go there. I'm, James, I'm a, I'm a Christian. In fact, I'm a leader. In fact, I'm preaching right now. And I got some people that are waiting on me. Do we, we don't really need to go into this right now. There are people waiting. For, I'd, I'd just rather not. Oh, it's okay. It's okay if they find out that I don't have it all together. It's about my joy? What? Okay. Okay, I'll tell them. When I was growing up, one of my favorite things to do was to play catch with my brother in the backyard. And uh, we would spend hours and hours experiencing so much joy and freedom just doing life together. It wasn't necessarily about following all the rules. It wasn't about having it all together. We were just being brothers and experiencing life together, and that was fun enough. That was joy. But being teenage boys as we were, our competitive nature got the best of us sometimes. And then it wasn't about fun anymore. It was about who could throw the ball the farthest. It was about who could punt the ball the farthest. <laughs> it was about who could break each other's fingers with the football. And it was no longer about just having fun and being in each other's presence. It was about winning. It was about scoring the most touchdowns. It was about earning the favor of our dad. It was about proving to each other that we were good enough. It was about proving to each other that we were strong. I mean, that we had it all together, that we didn't have any blind spots, that we weren't weak in any areas. And soon it became all about the competition and nothing about the joy. And this simple game got all the joy sucked out of it because I thought that I needed to prove something in order to have my identity as a man. Those nice games of pitch and catch turned into these intense games to prove who was stronger and who was faster until it wasn't about life together anymore. It was simply about winning. And I remember, I, I am so ashamed to look back on it now, and who knows how God got my attention with this, but he used James. I'm so ashamed looking back on it that I remember all the games that I would lose whether it was close or whether I got blown out, whether I played well or not, I would get so mad. I would get so mad and and something would, would well up inside of me, almost like this different person. And I would slam the ball down because I was so upset. And I know that in doing that, I hurt my brother. I hurt him deeply because of that anger. I didn't want to lose. I didn't want to be weak, and I hated it. And I know that I hurt him. But that anger and that insecurity that I had in who I was 
as a young man growing up, it didn't die. It just got pushed down a little bit farther. Flash forward to a few months ago, headed down Interstate 235 with my wife. It's just a great day. It's just a great day like it was with my brother. 15 years ago, playing catch with the football. We were riding down the car, in the car down 235, enjoying each other's company, and I sort of lose track of how fast I'm going, which, you know, we sometimes do. And I'm going, you know, 68, 73, 5, 7. And, um, and, and, and all of a sudden, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going pretty fast, and it's pretty packed on the interstate, and I start to change lanes. And, and Tiffany goes, John, what are you doing? And I go... What does it look like I'm doing? (sighs) Really, God? That again? That same old thing again? And of course, the rest of that ride is just in silence because my pride gets the best of me. And of course, when you have it all together, you don't need to ask for forgiveness, right? But of course, it had nothing to do with her. It had nothing to do with that circumstance. It had nothing to do with my driving or my car, the car ride. If I looked a little bit deeper, it had to do with the fact that I was stressed out. It had to do with the fact that I'd been running on empty. It had to do with the fact that I was so overwhelmed with responsibilities at home and at work. And because of that, I didn't want to lose. I didn't want to lose at life. I didn't want to give up control and admit that I didn't have it all together. I didn't want to be weak. Hmm, does that sound familiar? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Yes, they do. Could it be that we can grow old but never really grow up? I tell you those stories not to vent about my issues, though they are many, but I tell you those things to ask, what is it for you? If you go reading through James and he starts poking at you, what is it for you? For me, is my anger. What is it for you? Because... It's never just about football or a car ride, is it? It's never just about those things. What's stealing your joy today? What's preventing you from finding freedom? Is there a conversation that you need to have? Is there a, 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 a part of your life that you need to go back to and say, God, what happened there? And why is that issue coming up now? Did I never really deal with that? And so the book of James is filled with dozens of truths, challenges us to to move forward from living in our old ways to a life that's aligned with the life of Jesus. It's almost as if we're faced with this choice every single day to invite Jesus into those untouched places of our lives and let him, let his life live through us, or we default to the old way, taking control ourselves, just kind of sweeping things under the rug, hoping that they don't 
come up again, but they do. We always reap what we sow. We always reap what we sow. And as we learn to follow Christ, as we're we're in this process of transformation, what Jesus is really doing for every single one of us is he's challenging what is your default lifestyle? When you experience difficulties in your life, when when you experience tragedies, when you experience broken relationships, when you experience stress, when you experience busyness, when you experience big decisions that you have to make, what is your default lifestyle? What I mean by that is the new you or the old you. Life, life presents us with endless opportunities to go with God or to go our own way. And we almost have this choice whether we're going to stop and acknowledge, Jesus, I acknowledge that your spirit is living in me right now. It's your life that I want living through me, not my flesh. And so I just want to take us very quickly through a few examples here together just a taste of this solid wisdom for the mature that James is taking us into. Let's look at this. First of all, chapter 1, verse 19. Let's read this together. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Oh, that one gets me right there. He's poking us, he's poking us, he's moving us on to maturity. Is that your default way of being in relationships? When you walk into a room, when you're in a group of people, do do, do people feel at peace in your presence? Are you always trying to dominate the conversation? Because you need to prove yourself. Do people feel at peace around you? Do Do people, when they're around you, do they feel welcome to share their heart? Or do you still need to control every aspect of the conversation? Moving on, chapter 3, a couple chapters later. Chapter 3, verse 17. Let's read this together. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. A harvest of righteousness. James is saying, you want to know what maturity looks like? You look at the fruit of someone's life. If, 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 if I want to know if I'm growing or not, you look at the fruit of what's happening and what's coming out of me. Is it producing purity? Is it considerate? Is it easy for you to submit? Or do you always have to be the leader? Do you always have to control? Do you always have to be the leader? Or are you willing to follow sometimes? Do you always need to be in charge to feel okay about yourself? Is there a sincerity about your relationships or you just kind of have this false front that you put up so people don't see the real you? Are you a peacemaker? Or today, is there a wedge between you and someone? Between, between you and a close friend? Between you and a family member? Is there a wedge between you? Are you moving forward into maturity as a peacemaker? What's your default lifestyle? Jesus' life or the immature life? Now, we don't have all the time to walk through James this morning, but I wanted to just give you a couple snippets there, and there's more like it. And that is my challenge to you this week. Read the book of James and let him challenge you. Let him grow you up. Read James with a humble spirit that's open to God speaking and ask God, I don't want to just read this to get through it. God, I want want you to take me to those places in my heart that are dark. 
I want you to take me to those places in my heart that are hidden, that I've just been sweeping under the rug for all these years. And, and Jesus, when, when you take me there, I'll follow. I'll go with you. Jesus, I know that the way forward is the way in, and I need your healing, and I need your grace. And today, his grace is more than enough for you. Whether those areas are from the past or currently in your present that we think maybe, maybe I'm just too far away, maybe I, I've messed up too badly. Jesus says, no, let's, let's go there together. Not you alone, not me without you, but we're going to go there together because I have this abundant life that I want to give you. I don't want to beat you down with guilt or pain about your sin today. Jesus says to every single one of you, I want to set you free. I want to set you free. I want to give you back that joy in your life that's been stolen from you. I want to do life with you and let that bring you to a place of maturity. I've got incredible plans for you. I've got an incredible purpose for your life, but I also want to make you whole along the way. It's my love that's going to change you. It's not religion. It's not going through the motions of church. It's not just singing the songs or praying the prayers. It's his love taking root in us that changes us from the inside out. And I want to end today by reminding you of these three simple things that have really impacted me that, that a, a good friend has shared with me. And if you've got a, a pen there, you might want to just jot these down on the back of your bulletin. This is your, your take-home for the day. I want to remind you of these three truths, these three realities. Number one, I am loved by the God of the universe. I am loved by the God of the universe. That's, that's where your identity is at. Number two, his life is living in me and through me right now. His life is living in me and through me right now. Whatever you experience this week, whatever, whatever you go through, I am loved by the God of the universe. His life is living in me and through me. That's, that's his presence. And finally, number three, he has, he has a perfect provision for any situation or circumstance that I will find myself in. He has a perfect provision for any situation or circumstance that I will find myself in. I pray this week that you would spend some time in James as well as taking those three simple truths and put them into action as you're faced with decisions and relationships and all sorts of things that you would move into maturity and that you would let the life of Jesus be the life that lives through you this week.